Welcome back to the Get a Q podcast. My name is Brandon Hall. I'm proud to be joined today by Dr. Christy Whittlesey. Christy is the pre-K to 12 Fine and Performing Arts Director in the Chelmsford Public Schools. Christy, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Brandon. Thanks so much for having me. So, Christy, your work focuses mainly on, outside of being the pre-K to 12 Fine Arts Fine and Performing Arts Director in Chelmsford, um, some research that you've done and a, uh, your, your doctoral thesis that you did on creating gender-friendly schools. Um, how can teachers, oh, first, let, let's start, I guess we'll start back at the beginning. How did you get to yeah. um, this point? How did you decide that this was something that you wanted to look at? Okay, well, uh, first, I want to say that um, my pronouns are she, her, and I am cisgender, meaning I am not transgender. And so as we're talking about all this, I just want to be really clear and in that I'm, I don't have an experience of living life as a transgender person. Rather, I am uh, an advocate in educational settings and beyond to support safe, inclusive, and equitable environments where everyone can thrive regardless of gender. So in my role as uh, an educator in working with groups across the state and the country, I, over the past several years, I was noticing a trend wherein uh, more students were sharing their gender status and sharing that they were trans or non-binary with their school communities. And that is impressive right there that these students are comfortable and confident enough to share that information in schools. And at the same time, I was noticing that educators who most often were extremely well-intentioned and very good educators did not necessarily have the tools, training, or experience with which to support these students and create a gender-friendly learning environment. So during that time, I was working toward my PhD in educational research and evaluation, and I started digging through the research and realizing that there really wasn't much out there at that point specifically geared toward educators to lead them through this process. And I said, okay, that is what I'm focusing on because it's important. Uh, so over the course of several months, I got to know a number of trans students from around Massachusetts very well. Uh, they were in high school or had just graduated from high school. And I wanted to learn from them what they actually were experiencing in public schools and what they thought would be beneficial changes that could better support trans students. And it was just such an amazing experience learning from them. And that, that was kind of the, the impetus for this work. That's great. So as far as sort of going towards a little bit of a larger picture, um, you have gone into school districts and, and spoken about um, creating gender-friendly schools. What are some steps that schools can take right off the bat? Um, because obviously right now with, um, with COVID and with budget crisis, um, what sort of budget-friendly ways can schools um, – 
become more inclusive? And then in what ways can, like, let's say we throw the budget out the window, in what other ways can schools become more inclusive? Sure. Well, becoming a gender-friendly school or school district does not really require the money that you think it might. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, obviously, it would be ideal if if every school had in-depth training on this topic from trans people talking about their experiences and and really to lay a, a good foundation down for all people who work with students. But even if that's not a possibility for any reason, just some basic approaches that cost nothing can make a really big difference. Um, and before I talk about those, I just kind of want to lay the groundwork um, because we need to think of schools as institutions, right? Mm-hmm. Schools were originally modeled on on factories, and they are built to reinforce and reproduce a very rigid gender binary system, wherein cisgender girls and cisgender boys go through the system. So if you're not one someone who fits into one of those narrow categories, you're reminded through the course of every day as you interact with Things like school buildings that may have sex-separated facilities and curriculum that does not reflect who you are and teacher practice that might not be adequate to meet the needs of a gender-diverse population that, you know, you just don't fit in that system. So we need to, as allies of trans students and students and staff and family really do whatever we can to be conscious of that system and try and disrupt it wherever we can to try and create a more safe, inclusive, and equitable environment. So basic things like acknowledging gender diversity can go a long way. So for example, at the beginning of this interview, I shared my pronouns. That's just one way to send a message that, yes, we acknowledge that gender diversity exists and it's okay. And uh, it also helps to open the door to conversations with people who might have questions. Hey, why did, why did you share your pronoun there? Or who uh, might have questions about their own gender or who are trans who might feel more comfortable Um, sharing their gender status. Um, And the acknowledging of gender diversity is often something that people are most uncomfortable with in in education. I've had people say to me many times, you know, I am someone who cares about my trans students. However, I treat everyone the same. I don't need to differentiate based on gender. I don't need to address this issue at all because I just treat everyone equally. I grade them on their work and I treat them fairly. And and people who say these kinds of things are generally very well-intentioned, thoughtful educators. 
However, what that kind of framework ignores is that gender is really an integral part of who each of us is. So the, the whole gender avoidance um, framework parallels almost that colorblind or color evasive framework where people in the past, hopefully not now, but have said, I don't see color, I don't see race. And thinking that that's the way that they can support an inclusive environment. Right. However, we all know that that does not do that because when we don't see it, we can't do anything about it. We can't address issues of our own bias. Right. We can't celebrate the richness that diversity brings to our communities. Yeah, and it kind of reminds me of the graphic. I'm sure you've seen it going around, but the it's you know three children trying to watch a baseball game and they're all trying to see over the fence. Um, and it, you know, there's, there's one picture of them all standing in the tallest kid can see over the fence and see the game and nobody else can. And then all of us, and then in the next frame, there's, there's boxes and the shortest kid gets a box to be even with the tallest kid. Um, and then in the final frame, the fence is clear and everyone can see the game, um, through the fence without having gained any support, um, mechanism. Um, so in that, I think in that way, is that kind of where, where, where we're trying to get to? Yeah, we want everyone to be able to see the game or play the game, right? Right, yeah, right, right. Um, and yeah, so people can acknowledge gender diversity, you know, educators can acknowledge gender diversity by things like sharing their pronouns in their email signatures or in classes, um, put up visuals that acknowledge and support the concept of gender diversity and be open to conversations, you know, and I think that that's a big step when, and, and people do need a little bit of, of training or education sometimes before they can feel comfortable getting to that point where, where they, they think, well, I, I know enough about this that I can acknowledge it, mm -hmm. you know, uh, but it's, it, it is appropriate. And even, you know, at elementary schools, it's appropriate to talk about diversity and how you can be whoever you are and get away from gendered norms. And um, there's a great book called Sparkle Boy, and there are many, many others that are very appropriate for elementary to to get people thinking about this gender binary system, not just in schools, but in our society. And you know, why can't boys wear sparkly nail polish? And why can't girls you know, do X, Y, Z? Basically, let's just start digging into these uh, societal norms and figure out how how we can just be ourselves and support the people around us for who they are. So you did um, the the education research doctoral program at UMass Lowell, and we, we talked a little before about some of the work that you did to get to that point. Um, how did you do the research first to sort of write your dissertation and then turn that dissertation in, into, a, into a book? Well, I had a really 
great mentor, Judy Davidson, who just retired. Um, she, she just opened a lot of possibilities for me. She let me run with whatever I, I, I kind of wanted to do, including incorporating a lot of arts-based research approaches into my dissertation research. So I use all uh, primarily qualitative approaches, some very traditional. I interviewed people. I ran focus groups. I had numbers of surveys. Um, and then I also did things like photo voice and performance ethnography, um, basically seeing what kinds of connections could be made if I collect and report data findings in more creative ways. Because, you know, you're, you're in education. You know how everyone is extremely busy. Do you think any teacher is going to have the time to read a 250-page dissertation right, right. about this? No, nobody has time. So um, I worked with two groups of, of people for the research First, a number of trans and non-binary students, and then also educators. And so working with the students, I, I collected a lot of data through arts-based means. They, they drew for me. We talked about what they drew. They took photographs, and we discussed those. And basically, it, it opened more doors uh, to conversation and enriched our interactions. And then as far as the reporting went, I took the, the verbatim text that they shared with me and I created a script with it. I hired actors. I worked with the local TV studio and we taped a really short kind of a play uh, where I could then take that write to educators and see what their responses were. Yeah. And they, the educators generally had pretty visceral responses in hearing these young actors portraying my research participants, um, you know, hearing what they were going through in schools. I think, I think it made a great impact and people were saying, you know, I, I never thought about this before. I never considered what it was like for trans youth in our schools. And that's exactly what I wanted. Um, so it, it was just a, it was a great experience. And then I, my original goal had been to develop some research grounded educational materials for teachers and admin and staff who wanted to learn about this. And so I contacted the Dave Burgess consulting mm -hmm. company out in San Diego. There, Dave um, is the one who published Teach Like a Pirate. Yep. And um, they were all in on this. And uh, we worked together. The book is a fundraiser for San Diego Pride Youth Programs. That's where they're located. And so the proceeds from each sale of the book benefit trans youth and LGBTQ youth out in San Diego. And uh, so since then, I've been involved in training 
school districts and groups of administrators, a lot of Zoom trainings recently, <laughs> a lot of Zoom conferences, just to try and get the word out. And I'm actually going to be building on that book with a second book that's coming out in the fall called The Beginner's Guide to Being a Trans Ally, and that'll be published by Jessica Kingsley Publishers in London, uh, just about how to take what I learned about gender-friendly schools and translate that into communities. And I did a ton more research and interviews and everything for that book. So it's just ongoing learning and advocating. Yeah, So and, and we talked a little bit before the call um, about you know our own schools. And, and I remember... Um, when we had our, our first out trans student in Pembroke, um, that we had a faculty meeting before, before the school year started to talk about how things, how things would go and trying to be more inclusive, um, and how to, uh, how to approach situations and, and, you know, the, what the counseling department had, had kind of already put in place, um, as, um, you know, how, how to be allies and how to be accepting and, and how to understand. Um, and, and it, this is going back, I probably, you know, guessing six or seven years. Um, but it reminded me a lot of years before, um, when we had our first student that had a peanut allergy in the same kind of thing, you know, the, the, you know, uh, guidance council gets up and talks before the school year starts and says, you know, we have this student that has, um, that has a you know a, an, has anaphylaxis regarding peanuts, and that we have to change the way that we do things now. We cannot do X, Y, and Z anymore. Um, and then the chatter starts. Well, why do we all have to change? Because, um, and it kind of goes back to the fact that like schools are some of the more inclusive places in our society, and that teachers are some of the more accepting people in our society, and. You know, once the sort of initial shock wore off and, you know, people began to understand the situation, it was, oh, it's just, um, and then the acceptance was there. And I'm sure that that took a while, a lot while, I'm sorry, a lot longer with the student body, um, you know, given that we're dealing with 14 to 18 year olds. Um, but it, it seems as though we've grown leaps and bounds since that first student came out. Um, that our, our students are much more comfortable, um, our administration and our teachers a lot more understanding. Um, we have, you know, sort of protocol in place now and how to handle things. I, I feel like we've done a good job. I guess my question to you is you're brought in as an advocate and as, as an educator and a leader. Um, how do schools sort of take the next step from like accepting to understanding or from understanding to like, you know, really integrating um, trans youth in the school so that it's, it, it, it is just another part of the day? Well, first of all, I really applaud your district for doing proactive training on, on this topic and getting everybody kind of transliterate on how mm -hmm. to create a gender-friendly school. Um, and the the kind of the peanut an analogy is, is interesting because some people may not previously have known how do you deal with a, a student who has a peanut allergy and how do you create a safer environment for them 
where the, it's inclusive and everybody can, you know, go in and have right. their lunch safely. Yep. And and so a lot of educators just may be unfamiliar with issues of gender diversity. And then it's just a matter of getting everybody on, on the same page of, okay, how are we going to create that inclusive learning environment where everybody can engage in the learning? Because when we, when students don't have those basic needs met where they are feeling safe and acknowledged and supported, it's really hard to engage in higher learning tasks that we want them to engage with every day. Uh, and I think just understanding that we have trans students in all of our schools. Right. At, at every level, we have trans elementary students or students who are questioning gender. It's, it's happening. <laughs> and so a gender-friendly school doesn't wait to say, oh, we have a trans kid and they're crying in the nurse's office every day and we should probably try and figure this out. You know, a, a gender-friendly school lays that foundation right off the bat. And this is so, so important if we want our students to succeed. We had a, a recent na nationwide study where 2% of high school students self-identified as trans. And that number is, I think, probably higher now than two years ago when the study, um, when the study occurred. But 2% is a significant number of students. And so when we're thinking that we want to support our students' learning and social-emotional health, um, those trans and non-binary youth are, we need to differentiate for them. We're very good at differentiating for other things, you know, for different learning styles and needs, for language needs, et cetera. But we need to differentiate for gender diversity as well. And this is really important when you consider that the outcomes for trans and non-binary youth as compared to their cisgender peers are negative in, in that they have higher rates of absenteeism, dropping out of school failure, and in the worst case scenarios, self-harm and attempted or considering suicide. And in fact, more than half of transgender and non-binary youth have seriously considered suicide. But on the flip side of that, research shows that LGBTQ youth with at least one affirming and supportive adult in their life um, can cut their risk of suicidality by like 50%. So that is really, really powerful. And things like using students' pronouns properly and acknowledging their gender can, can really just make such a, a big difference in the outcomes for these students. And, and so um, I had talked earlier about, you know, acknowledging gender diversity. That's really like the first step. Um, we also want to make sure that students are represented in their curriculum. Um, that's another thing that, you know, teachers can make decisions about what is on their walls and what kinds of um, materials they bring in, in many cases, to, to their classrooms that represents a more diverse um, population. 
Um, another really quick thing that educators can do is get away from unnecessary gendered language when we don't need to use it. Um, I think of so many times that even now I'll walk into a classroom and the teacher is calling people to attention by saying boys and girls or ladies and gentlemen. And this, this is just another way that that gender binary system constantly kind of pokes at the students saying, think about gender and where do you fit in gender? We can get away from terms like that. We can use terms like scholars, learners, you know, mathematicians, think, thinking of non-gendered ways that we can address and group students. One of the students who worked with me in my research originally talked about when he was in kindergarten and the teacher was grouping students by boys and girls and saying, boys go over there and girls go over there. And he was so confused because he really didn't know what he should do because who he knew he was on the inside didn't match what people perceived on the outside. And so he kind of froze in that situation, was extremely anxious, and the kids around him were kind of laughing, like, ha what are you doing? You're joking around. But that was a very anxiety-producing situation for this child when he was in kindergarten. So we should be thinking about this at all levels and just thinking about ways that we can be more inclusive. Yeah, and, and you've got two books, um, the first of which is It's Okay to Say They, Tips for Educators. Uh, I've kind of shortened the title there. Uh, but and, mm-hmm. and then the second one, A Beginner's Guide to Being a Trans Ally. Uh, where can people find those books? Uh, well, Okay to Say They is available uh, just online right now at Barnes & Noble or Amazon. Um, you can also get linked to the book through my website, which is christywittlesey.com. And then when the second book comes out in October, it's a I, bigger company, so I'm not exactly sure which stores it will be, but it'll definitely be available online as well. Okay, great. Um, Christy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, I learned a ton here just in the, in the short amount of time that we've spoken, um, both before and during the recording here. It's been about uh, almost an hour where we've talked, um, and I really appreciate the work that you're doing. I hope that your district does too, uh, because it's so impactful and it's so meaningful to so many kids who just generally don't feel, um, you know, that they're part of uh, the bigger, the bigger thing, right? And you've you've done such an amazing job including them. So thank you for that. Well, thank you for letting me share this information, and I really hope that educators who are listening can take these ideas back to their own districts and get them starting to think about creating more gender-friendly schools. Yeah, and people can find your work on your website, christywittlesey.com. Yep, and I also have a ton of free resources for schools on there, um, including links to curriculum sources for all grade levels, um, gender plans, like how to handle it if a student shares their gender status and shares that they're trans. You know, what kind of steps can you go through specifically to support the student and give the student control over things like 
who will know about this and when and how they can be supportive. So please, yes, use those free resources at christywittlesey.com. Awesome. And people can book you through that website as well to come to their yes. districts. Great. Great. So go check out Christy's website. Christy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. You've been listening to the Get a Q podcast by MassQ, here to educate, connect, and inspire.